Hey, this is Pastor Arm, and I want to thank you for joining me today for the Activation Church podcast. We are here so that people can activate their life in Christ, and I believe this message is going to help you go further than ever before. Check it out. If you have your Bible, turn it to Ephesians, the second chapter. We've been in a series for the past several weeks called Working with Grace. And my intention was to walk through the book of Ephesians, but every time I start through Ephesians, I get stopped at Ephesians, the second chapter, specifically verse 1 through 10, because there's so much rich, good stuff right there. And I think that it would do us good to really take time to digest the Word of God, to fully understand what God is saying to us through our word. When we study scripture, it should not be about the quantity of scripture that we're getting. It should be about the quality of scripture that we're receiving. And I promise you, if you are a child of God and the spirit of God lives inside of you, every time you revisit a passage, no matter how many times you've heard it, the spirit of God will begin to reveal something to you that you have not seen before. He'll start to minister to you things that you need for that moment. Even something like John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Just chew on that statement alone, that, that he loved the world that rejected him, that he pursued a world that would not follow him, that he gave his life through his son, Jesus Christ, for people who would forsake him. Think about that. For God so loved the world. You could spend the rest of your life, and I believe that we will spend the rest of eternity fully grasping the love of God. I believe that heaven is going to be an amazing place where every day we are learning more and more about the love of God, about the goodness of God, about what his mercy and kindness actually looks like for us. So are you ready for the word this morning? Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1, the Bible says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. I want you to understand that what we see in the natural is a response to what is happening in the spiritual realm. There is more than meets your natural eye. Turn to the person next to you and say, there is more than meets your natural eye. You need to understand this. You need to understand that there is war happening in the spirit realm. The good news is we have authority through Jesus Christ. But we have to learn how to take that authority. We have to learn how to go after those spirits and those strongholds and bring them down. And so this morning, as I preach to you, I'm not just preaching to you. I'm also preaching to the spirits within this city, within this realm that we are in that are trying to influence us, that are trying to attack us, that are trying to break us down, that are trying to tear apart our families. And I'm going to say no. In Jesus' name, our families are not going to be torn apart. Our identity is not going to be torn apart because my identity is in Christ Jesus. I once used to follow that pattern, but I don't anymore. I once was lost, but now I am found. How many of you are thankful that that is your theme? 
that I once was lost, but now I'm found. I used to be blind, but now I can see some things that I couldn't see before. Verse 3 says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind but God, being rich in mercy. Being rich in mercy. You need to understand that we serve a merciful God. You need to understand that we serve a kind God. But his kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. His mercy is meant to transform us, to take us where we were to where we currently can be in Christ. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace... You have been saved through faith. Somebody say, by grace, through faith. Grace supplied my salvation, but my faith obtains it. God pursues us, but we respond. God provides, but we respond. God supplies, but we respond. Our faith is our response to what God has done. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Our faith is how we respond to what God has already made available. I was uh, fishing this past week. And did you know that I did not have to supply the fish for the sea? Isn't that amazing? I didn't have to create the fish. I didn't have to create the water that they swam in. I didn't even have to create the reel or the bait that I used. It was all provided for me. It was all done for me, but I had to, y'all following this? I had to cast the line. I had to exert something to receive something. God, what I'm wanting you to see is God has already done everything that you need. Everything that you need that pertains to life, the Bible says, and godliness. Not just life, but also godliness. Not just godliness, but everything that you need for this life has already been provided for you. You've just got to learn how to obtain it. You've got to learn how to take possession of it. And faith is the thing that steps out and reaches and takes hold of what God has made available. The things that you have not seen with your eye, the thing that you have not imagined with your heart, the thing that you've not even heard about that God has prepared for you is there if you can just learn how to cast out in faith and make it your own. Turn to the person next to you and say, make it your own. Paul goes on to say, and this is your, not your own doing, talking about our salvation. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that anyone may boast. For we are his workmanship 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. So even the works that we do, God prepared. Before you were created, the work was made for you to accomplish. I want to take time right here just to let you know that you are here for a purpose. No one in here is here by accident. You may think, well, my parents just got together and had an oops moment, and here I am, but that's not how it works. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, God knew you. And so he may have taken that opportunity that they thought was an oops moment, but he did it and used it for his glory to bring you here for a certain time, a certain place to fulfill a certain work that he prepared beforehand. So there are no accidents in this house. Turn the person next to you and say, there are no accidents in this house. If you feel like you are an accident, I want you to know that you are not. If you feel like you are a failure, I want you to know that in Christ Jesus, you are not a failure. That you are wonderfully and fearfully made. What does that mean? That means God took some time on you. He didn't just throw you together. He thought about it. He designed you. Knitted you together. Gave you the personality that you got. Have you ever wondered, like, your different personality traits and, like, the way you communicate? Have you ever thought that maybe that's something that God placed there for a purpose? To use for his glory? Think about that. Because God knew you. The same way that God knew Noah before he created Noah to deal with the flood that had not yet come, he has created you. Too many of us live as if we have no purpose. We live as if we're just going through this life, setting some goals that we can achieve so that one day we can retire, kick our legs up and be like, I lived a good life. You are here for more than a picket fence and retirement. As a matter of fact, I would suggest to you that once you come into the kingdom of God, there is no such thing as retirement. You may rest from your job, but you've still got a work to do. As long as you've got a pulse in your body, you've still got a purpose. As long as you've got a pulse in your body, you've got a purpose. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. God will always use whoever makes themselves available. But that is the key, making yourself available, casting out the line, saying, God, here I am. Use me. Here I am. I'm available. I'm willing. I'll do whatever, however, whenever, and it doesn't matter how ridiculous it makes me look. Because it's not about me anyway. It's about him. Amen? So there is a work that was created beforehand. Everything you need for life and godliness has already been prepared for you. You've just got to learn how to obtain it. Now, in Ephesians, the second chapter, Paul is contrasting who we were with who we are now in Christ Jesus, and he is using faith as the starting point. In other words, faith is where we start our journey 
with God, but also faith is what carries us through. Think about it this way. In John, the 10th chapter, Jesus says, I am the door. Anybody ever played with a door before? Anybody ever played with a locked door before? How do you open a locked door? Y'all use keys? I've got an app on my phone that unlocked my front door now. I installed it the other day myself. It didn't even, you know, you, you would think that when you buy this stuff, like everything would fit the way it's supposed to. It never does for me. I have to like chip away the wood. Anytime I build something, I always have pieces left over, I guess for a future project. But if you come to a locked door, you need a key. Are you with me so far? So Jesus says, I am the door. If Jesus is the door, which he is, there's no other way to the Father except through him. He makes it very clear that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the access point. Sometimes people think, well, there are many ways to God. That is false. Some people think, well, I can do this, do this, and I can find my own God. I can find my own truth. That is false. And the most loving thing somebody can do is tell you that you are wrong. There is only one way to heaven. There is only one way to the Father. There is only one way to your purpose. Before Christ Jesus enters your life, you are living aimless, even if you're accomplishing a lot. Did you hear what I'm saying? You, you could have a successful business, you could have a loving marriage, and you are accomplishing zero until Christ Jesus comes into your life, quickens you with his spirit, and starts activating the purpose for which you were created for. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. He is the access point. Somebody say, he is the access point. But what is the key that unlocks the door? That's the question we have to ask. The answer is faith. Without faith, it is impossible to enter into the kingdom of God because it is his grace that saves us, but we obtain his grace, how, Paul says, through what? Faith. Grace without faith will lead to frustration because you'll try to work it out on your own. You'll try to figure it out on your own. But when you take his grace, which is a gift, and you marry it with your faith, things start to happen in your life. So Paul is letting us know that faith is the starting point. It's where we start our journey with God, and it is what carries us through. Everything God wants to do in you and through you is made possible by faith. Faith is what makes everything work, Mary. I've said it like this. Faith is the currency of heaven. There's no way to tap into the things of heaven without operating in faith. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Why? Because you've got to believe that he is and that he is also a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. How do you get the reward? By diligently seeking him. Why would you diligently seek him? Because you have faith. Faith is a phenomenal thing. Faith is something that I believe most of us do not even scratch the surface of 
in our lifetime. When you think about faith, you've got to think about the power of God to make things possible. Jesus says if you have faith the size of a, the grain of a mustard seed, you understand how small a mustard seed is? He says if you can just muster up a mustard seed, <laughs> seed size amount of faith, you can speak to a mountain and that mountain will move. Think about Peter going to the temple to worship and the man sitting there who hasn't walked. He's begging for money. Peter looks at him, he says, silver and gold, I don't have any. But what I do have, I'm going to give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. What did he do? He spoke the word of God. The, the man responded through faith, expecting to receive, and he stood and walked. I think too many times we just let life happen to us because we don't understand the power of the faith that has been invested in us. Are you following what I'm saying? We let things in our life crumble and fall apart because we don't understand the power we carry as children of God. We are not insignificant beings. We are supernatural, powerful beings. We may carry a weak flesh, a weak vehicle of flesh, but who you are, who you really are on the inside has great power because you were created in the image and the likeness of God. And just the same way that he has the ability to speak and change things, you have the ability to speak and change things when you speak, one, according to the word of God, and two, you speak it in faith. You want to know how you make your prayer powerful? You pray in faith. Praying is not just throwing words up in the air, hoping somebody is listening. Prayer is a sighted-in target, knowing that when I release this thing in faith, that it starts working on my behalf. That's what the Bible says in the book of James. The effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Another way to say that is the, the prayer of a righteous person. And if you're on Christ, guess what? You're righteous. The prayer of a righteous person has great power when they are praying. Why? Because their words come in alignment with his word and it's released in faith. And when it, the word of God is released in faith, it will not return void. It will accomplish and prosper wherever it is sent. Somebody right now needs to start sending the word over your family, sending the word over your situation, sending the word. Sending the word. I don't just allow life to happen to me and my family. I send the word. When I travel, before I travel, I send the word. Father, I thank you for surrounding me and my family. God, I thank you for protecting us from dangers, both seen and unseen. I'm sending the word. Faith. Somebody say faith has the power to make things happen. I want to talk about three levels of faith today. The three levels of faith are, is faith that works for me, faith that works in me, and faith that works through me. Faith that works for me, which means it's working on my behalf, 
faith that is working in me internally and then faith that is working through me that is being released to accomplish something. The faith that works for me is saving faith. Somebody say saving faith. The Bible says in Galatians, the third chapter, starting in verse 5, I'm going to read several verses here. Hang with me. Paul says here in Galatians, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The argument that's happening in the book of Galatians is who belongs to the family of Abraham because the family of Abraham is an heir of the promises of God. Is that true or not true? So the argument is, okay, we know that those that belong to Abraham's family are heirs according to the promises of God, but who is Abraham's family? And so the Jews would argue that it is a bloodline thing. Paul is arguing that it has nothing to do with your blood. It has everything to do with your faith. He's saying Abraham came into the family through faith, and you have to enter the same way. Verse 8, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, not by blood, not by your works, but by your faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by what? Faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Can I just stop here? The judgment of God is poured out against sinful man. Okay? The judgment of God is poured out against sinful man. When Jesus hung on a cross... He said, I will be the vessel that receives the judgment on your behalf. If you'll just put your faith in what I have done. If you do not put your faith in what Christ has done, that judgment is building up and will spill over on you at some point in time. Some people think just because of, you know, I haven't seen anything happen yet, I'm all good. No, things are being stored up for the day of judgment. And wrath the wrath of God against sin will be poured out on the sinner. But thank God I am not a sinner because I have been saved by grace through my faith in the finished work of what Jesus has accomplished for me. Not based upon my works, not based upon my goodness, but based upon his goodness. Are you following me so far? The world needs to know that the wrath of God is coming. And you can be proud about what you want to be proud about right now, but I promise you something, pride comes before the fall. And if you're proud, you will be humbled. 
every single human being in the world will be humbled and everyone will take a knee and say that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you can either willingly make that decision for yourself or you can be forced to do it. And I would say doing it on your own is a better choice. Hello? You know, we don't, if some, some people are like, well, I don't like that kind of preaching. It kind of rubs me the wrong way. Well, it's because you're in the wrong position. And the Spirit of God right now is trying to pull you over into the right position. And you're thinking, well, I'll just find a church that preaches what I want. That's fine. Find a church that will preach whatever you want. And wake up one day in a really bad place. Because you wanted to hear what you wanted to hear instead of what God was saying. Not understanding that God has the best intention for your life. That his design for your life is the best design for your life. And you can either spend your life serving God or becoming your own God. Think about that. When we think about idolatry, many times we think, well, I, I, don't, I don't practice idolatry because I don't have a statue of anything. But idolatry is making anything a God that is not God. And in the time that God is actually telling Israel, you shall have no other gods before me that you're not going to make any idols, while he is laying that law out, they're down in the valley creating a God for themselves creating a golden calf for themselves, something that they could identify with. Whenever you try to create a God that you can identify with based upon your feelings and your emotions, you are creating a golden calf. And if God sounds a lot like you, you're probably not following God, but you're following yourself. Got quiet. Hey, I'm in that boat too. I've created a few golden calves in my life. Probably, I probably still have a few laying around that need to be crushed and destroyed. But it is our priority, or should be our priority in life, to find and identify every calf that we have developed in our life and crush it and bring it to nothing. And say, God is true, and everyone else is a liar. Listen, church, I love you deeply. That's why I take time to do this, because I love you deeply, and the love of God pursues you. You remember the old westerns? I've said this before. You remember the trains in the westerns, and the bandits would always blow out the track? You know what I'm talking about? Now imagine everybody on the trains having a good time, their party, and doing life their own way. Would it be loving to just let them do life and party and enjoy the ride? Or to be loving to say, hey, the, the track is blowing up in front of you. You need to abandon the train. What's the loving thing to say? Get off the train. But if you're on the train having a good time, you think, well, who's he to tell me what to do? I'll do what I, I, do what I want. <laughs> well, keep on doing what you want. We'll see how it ends. The righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by faith. Christ redeemed us, thank you, Lord, from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come also to the Gentiles. That's everyone who's not a Jew. 
so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Paul is asking, what makes us right with God? Is it our behavior or is it our faith? Is it our ability to perform or is it our faith in what God has done? God comes to Abraham. He's using Abraham as a case study because God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you. Through your family, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And the righteousness that Abraham received came simply because he believed, not because what he did. He had faith. It was his faith that made him right with God. He had questions, but he also had faith. Let me tell you something. It's okay to have questions, but you can't allow your questions to override your faith. Hello? So faith, it is the faith in what God has done that saves me. I said it earlier, grace without faith will lead to frustration, but grace with faith or grace through faith will lead to freedom. So you need to understand that your salvation is not in what you have done or what you accomplish. It is simply in having faith in what Jesus has done for you. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? That's why when we sing amazing grace, that's, that's amazing grace that somebody would choose to receive the punishment that you deserve. To choose to lay down their life so that you could live. To take upon our sorrow so that we could receive his joy. He's a good God. He loves you. He wants to bless you. The next kind of faith is the faith that works in me. This is abiding faith, or you could call it transforming faith. God saves us where we are, but he doesn't want to leave us there. It doesn't matter what kind of lifestyle you are caught up in right now. Jesus loves you and he will save you, but he doesn't want to leave you there. He wants to transform you into his image and likeness. And this happens through abiding faith. Somebody say abiding faith. Abiding faith is understanding that it is God who works in me to will and do of his good pleasure. And the closer I remain to him, the more I will become like him. The more I pull away from him, the less I will become like him. And I've noticed in my life that there are times that I get real close to the presence of God and I see a lot of transformation. But as soon as I back off from a routine or whatever has brought me into that presence, I start noticing that I start going in a negative direction. Why? Because I'm not abiding. Somebody said I have to abide. John 15, Jesus says this in verse 1, I am the vine. He actually says I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser which means Jesus is the source of life and the Father is the one overseeing the project. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit. Now, this is every branch in him. This is every branch that is connected to him that does not bear fruit. He takes away. That that means he lifts up. If the vine's on the ground and it's not producing, he comes in and he lifts it up. He puts it back up to where it can start to produce. And every branch that does not bear fruit, what does he do? He prunes. Why? That it may bear more fruit. God is interested in you being productive in the purpose that he has called you to. And so if he needs to lift you up, he'll lift you up. If he needs to remove some things, he'll remove some things. And the pruning process can be a little bit painful. 
Sometimes the printing process is removing relationships that we shouldn't be in. Sometimes the printing process is removing us from situations that we shouldn't be in. Sometimes the printing process is removing us from a, uh, a situation that we have attached ourselves to that we don't need to attach ourselves to because it's draining the nutrients from us. And so the love of God separates us from it, not to hurt us, but so that we can bear more fruit. Why? Because God wants us to be fruitful and he wants us to be productive. In the beginning, when God created man and woman, he placed them in the garden, he blessed them, and he said what? Be fruitful and multiply. When you're working with God and you're working with the grace of God, you're not working against the grain, you're working with the grain. Does that make sense to you? Because he wants you to produce more than you want to produce. He wants you to walk in your purpose more than you want to walk in your purpose. And so if we can ever just find this place to where we actually rest in him and abide in him, that's when we're going to start seeing things happen. By resting and abiding, it's not a striving. Transformation is not about striving to transform yourself. It is about getting into the presence of God, loving God and allowing the love of God to transform you. So I'm not working for God's love, but I am working from a place of God's love. Does that make sense to you? We need to understand this because if not, we create all these rules and regulations that we call religion that tell us do this, do this, do this, and we may correct the behavior on the outside, but if, it, if the heart hasn't changed behind it, then nothing has changed. I may never sleep with another woman in my physical body other than my wife, but if I am meditating on other women, then there's not been a transformation. Hello? And Jesus says, if you think about it, you've done it. I may never pull out a pistol and shoot somebody and murder them, but if I hate them, Jesus says, guess what? You've murdered them. So it's not about changing the behavior. It's about changing the heart. And if we change the heart, then the behavior. Does that make sense to you? But the only way you're going to see that transformation is by abiding in him. And abiding means remaining. It means staying connected to the source of life. It's like a fire at a campsite. You've ever been to a, 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 a camp out where it's like extremely cold? If you stay close to that fire, you're not even aware of how cold it is, but you back away from that fire. One time my family went camping. It was you know, below freezing, and we had icicles growing from our, you know, because we got away from the fire. We've got to stay close to the fire. What is the fire? It is the presence of God. Please hear me, church. God is looking for a people who will connect and remain in him. And when he finds those people, those are the ones that are going to be fruitful and productive. Somebody say transforming faith. The final one is faith that works through me. Faith that works through me. Ephesians 2, 8. Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that anyone may boast. But then he says in verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I'm not saved by my works, but once I am saved, I am called to work. And if I am truly saved, I will desire to do the work of God. Does that make sense to you? 
Why? Because, again, it is God who is working in me, both to will and do of his good pleasure. So it's not all the stuff that I'm trying to do to earn God's love. It's just this is who I am. It's a part of my nature. This is what I do. I do things that please God because the Spirit of God lives inside of me. So let me break this down for you. Your church attendance does not save you. I mean, you could attend church every Sunday morning and every Wednesday night and still go to hell. Only Jesus can save you. But once Jesus saves you, your desire to be a part of his body should be there. When you understand what salvation is all about. And I've heard people say, you know, I'm good with God, but not the whole church thing. Well, you don't understand who God is. You don't understand who Jesus is. Jesus is the head of the church, the body of Christ. It is when we come together as the body that we perform his purpose on this earth. So it is impossible to fulfill your purpose apart from the body. So I'm not saved by attendance, but if I'm saved, I desire to attend. I'm not saved by what I give to the kingdom of God. Did you know that? You could give millions of dollars to the kingdom of God and still go to hell. Why? Because Jesus Christ saves you. But once I become a part of the kingdom, I desire to give. Why? Because God loves. What does he love? Oh, y'all know that verse? So if I want to please God and do what he loves, I'm going to be a cheerful giver. I don't give reluctantly. I give because I love God. I love his kingdom. I give because I want to honor him with what he has placed in my hands. See, I've come to a greater level of understanding that nothing I have belongs to me. I didn't get it. Everything that I've gotten is because of the ability that God has given me. And when you are faithful with what he has given you, then he says, that's somebody I can do more with. Why? Because if you're faithful with the little, he gives you more. He gives seed to the sower. He gives bread to the eater. It's all through Scripture. A lot of people miss out on the blessing of God because they're stingy with what they have in their hand, thinking that it belongs to them. But go through the book of Hosea, I believe it is. You can gain, 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 gain. It's like putting it in a bag full of holes. It'll never be enough. But when you begin to honor God, and you will begin to say, God, I understand that this that I have is because of you, and I will gladly honor you with it, that's when he says, I will open up the windows of heaven. I will pour out a blessing upon you that you cannot contain. Not only that, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. What does that mean? When the enemy comes to try to devour your stuff, God says, nope. Can't touch this. Can't touch this. I've seen that work in my life. Let me tell you something. There, there have been a couple of messages that have truly altered my life. One of the messages was seed time and harvest. I've always been a tither. Since I started working, I've always been a tither. But when I understood the message of seed time and harvest, understanding what tithe is, what the offering is, and what alms are, and how it works together, that's when I started seeing things happen in my life. When we talk about money in church, people automatically think, oh, the preacher's trying to get something from me. Richard, I ain't trying to get nothing from you, bud. You ain't got, you ain't got to run out the back door. I'm just kidding with it. <laughs> Anybody else want to get up and walk out? No. I'm just messing around. Has nothing to do with what people are trying to get from you. It's about what they're trying to bring to you, understanding what God does when you respond to him. It's the only area in Scripture where he says, prove me. Test me in this. Think about that. See if I will not. See if I will not. So my giving doesn't save me, but I desire 
to give. Things like our food pantry. You know, Kayla, we could feed all the hungry people in the world and still not make it into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because our works don't save us. But once I'm saved, because of the love of God, I desire to feed his people. And Jesus says, when you do it to the least of these, you've done it to me. And when you neglect the least of these, you've also neglected me. Why? Because we're all family. We're all one. Are you understanding how all that works? So my faith begins to work through me and becomes active. Because if my faith is not active, then it's dead. What does James say? Faith without works is dead. So my works do not save me, but my faith will be seen through my works, through what I do. Jesus says, you'll know my disciples, you'll know my people by what? The fruit that they're bearing. And so if I'm abiding in the vine and I'm connected, then things are going to begin to produce in my life that are noticeable to the eye. I'll begin to forgive because I am forgiven. Let me tell you something. Forgiveness is not a choice that I have made. I don't choose to forgive somebody. I forgive because I understand forgiveness. Does that make sense? It becomes a response. I love because I am loved. It becomes a response. It, it's, it's fruit. Like, just like fruit pops up on fruit trees. It's just a part of its nature. Like You don't have to go give an apple tree a talking to to grow some apples. It'll grow apples because it's an apple tree. There are going to be things that are seen in our life because of our new nature. Now, we still carry the vehicle of flesh, Coy, which means we're still subject to error. We're still subject to make mistakes. My, my brother-in-law is here today from Florida. He's seen me make a few mistakes in my life. I know, I know y'all don't believe that. But I make mistakes because I'm still human. The difference is... I understand the forgiveness of God and I have an advocate with the Father that I can come and say, Father, forgive me for what I've done. And he cleanses me and erases it and removes it. And his mercies are made new every morning. Josh, every morning. Tim, every morning. Every morning his mercy is made new and it's ready. Before I even wake up, his mercy's sitting there on the rising of the sun waiting for me church, you know what I really want? What I really desire is for us to step into the life that God has already made available. To, to not play church, but to be the church. I am so sick of show and performance. This morning when I was praying, I was, I was saying, God, I understand that, you know, you've given us a personality and that plays into things that we do. And, and I believe in excellence. I do. I believe in excellence. I believe that everything that we should do, we should do to the best of our ability. But it can never become a show. This can never just become a place to where you are entertained and that 
you, you come listen to me because I tickle your ears and I tell you what you like to hear all the time. This has got to be a place that where we come together as the body of Christ and we're challenged together so that we can grow together in the unity of the faith so that we can actually become the hands and feet of Jesus Christ here on this earth. That you, we are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. On the, we are the light of the world. We are the hope of the world. Why? Because Christ in us the hope of glory. He lives in us. As he is, so are we right here, right now. We've got to understand this so that we can become like him. I, I don't know another way to, to try to transfer this information to you, but we've got to stop playing church and be the church. We, we've got to get to the point to where Jesus was in, in, in the garden where he says, not my will, but your will be done. Laura, it's not about what do I want, what can I get out of this life, but what can I invest into the kingdom of God so that his purpose can be carried out. God blesses me so that I can be a blessing, so that I can be his hands extended. If we fully understood this, man, the church, you, you wouldn't have room to seek people in the churches in the world. Every church in the world would be filled to overflowing if the people who claimed to be Christians understood what it meant to be a Christian. It's not a haircut. Some of you grew up thinking being a Christian is all about how you wear your hair or whether you wear makeup or not wear makeup. Some of you grew up thinking like being a Christian is whether or not you drink a beer or don't drink a beer. Some of you grew up thinking being a Christian is whether you smoke a cigarette or don't smoke a cigarette. And that has nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it. It's about becoming the person that God has called you to be. If there's anything in you that needs to be removed, he'll remove that. You don't have to worry about that. He'll take care of it. The Holy Spirit is really good at his job. He'll begin to show you, hey, here's some of the things that we need to work on. He does it to me all the time. He shows me, I, you know, our arm's got a little bit of an attitude problem. I do. I can, I, I can get angry with the best of them, Debbie. Y'all don't get to see it because I pray up before I come to church. But. You catch me in the morning before my prayer time? Mm -hmm. Try me, sucker. But church, listen, I'm not going to keep you any longer. I just, I, I truly love you. And I want the best for you and I want you to come to the realization of who you are in Christ and understand how loved you are and how valuable you are and I promise you man God will blow your mind blow your mind